We are in week five of a sermon series on forgiveness, and I have said from the beginning, five weeks of one topic is a lot, I know. And our goal from the beginning was that we might be able to forgive someone in five weeks, that that's the goal. But also, the goal could be that we take steps toward forgiveness, because sometimes five weeks just isn't enough. Sometimes it should be five months. And sometimes it could be even longer than that. But if we can take baby steps toward forgiveness, we can celebrate that. And if we can go through the entire process of forgiving someone, we can celebrate that. This morning we're going to focus a little bit on forgiving ourselves and what that might look like. But before we do that, I want to kind of remind you of where we've been. We started off with the definition of forgiveness being that you could wish well upon someone. If you can bless someone and wish well upon someone and celebrate when something good happens to them, even if you're not in their presence, you can be glad that good things are happening to them. You can know that you have forgiven them. And we define forgiveness also by what it isn't. And I said forgiveness isn't removing the consequences for the offense. That it's possible to call the police and still forgive someone. And we talked about how forgiveness doesn't have to mean that you forget. We've heard that phrase forever. Just, Just forgive and forget. Sometimes we need to remember to be able to forgive. And that's completely appropriate. And we talked about the myth of redemptive violence and talking about Samson and how oftentimes we can escalate situations when we don't forgive. And we talked about how Samson is a Messiah figure, but we worship the Messiah. And we compared and contrasted Samson by saying, by coming to the point where we talked about in Samson's life, there was a time where a thing started with him, his father-in-law, his wife, and his best friend. And it ended with well over a thousand people being killed and a couple of people being burned to death. And Samson holding a bloody jawbone from where he had killed a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. And that oftentimes we think that's to be celebrated. And that escalating things is actually the way that we have been taught to live. And I reminded you of examples of how we have been taught that way. Where where instead of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us, we do as Samson and his enemies did, well, I'm going to get back at them for what they did to me. One of the examples that I give, you might remember, was going on around this time last year with the presidential elections, where one person says a bad thing about another, and so they're going to find something and say something even worse about that person, and it just escalates and escalates and escalates and gets worse and worse and worse. And we're subjected to that all the time, to the point where it just kind of becomes the norm. But Jesus, when he was standing bound, just like Samson was standing bound before Samson picked up the jawbone, Jesus was bound. His friend Peter took a sword and tried to kill one of the people arresting Jesus and missed and cut the guy's ear off instead. And Jesus said to Peter, put down your sword. And then Jesus evened the score by reaching down, picking up the man's ear, 
and replacing it or, or healing him and putting it back on his head. That's the Messiah, not the Messiah figure. The myth of redemptive violence, which is violence can end violence. And violence doesn't have to be physical. It can be emotional and it can be verbal. But that myth is a lie. And it gets us caught in a trap where we imprison ourselves. I talked about how forgiveness is the idea that we set someone free to find out it's us. And I talked about how not forgiving someone makes no sense. It's like eating rat poison and hoping that a rat dies. So today, we're going to talk about forgiveness, forgiving ourselves, and how do we just let something go. And just drop it and let it go. Let's read together the Lord's Prayer and say the Lord's Prayer together. Together, um, Do you have that pulled up, just, just the Lord's Prayer? So, the thing about the Lord's Prayer is, there was a common practice in ancient Israel, in, in ancient Judaism, for someone who was studying with a rabbi to say to the rabbi, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And then the rabbi would recite a prayer that they had written, that they, and, and you could see what the rabbi thought was important as you listened to them pray. It wasn't like, this is the only way to pray, but it was the rabbi saying, this is how I pray. These are the things that are important to me. And so as we say the Lord's Prayer and we read the Lord's Prayer, we can see what was important to Jesus. And so we'll say the prayer together all the way through once, and then we'll go back and I'll stop at certain points and do some teaching as we go through it. Let's pray together. The prayer... Our Lord Jesus taught us to pray when he was asked, how should we pray? He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. How many of you grew up as Methodists or Protestants? You ever gone to a Catholic uh, funeral service, or a Catholic service where they say the Lord's Prayer? And then you're, you're like used to saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and you just kind of start blurting that out, and they're stopped. So that's an addition. If you read in Matthew chapter 6, you'll see that, that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's scriptural, but it's added in at that point. So, um, just heads up. Next time you go to a Catholic church with friends or relatives or whatever, and they start saying the Lord's Prayer, say it quietly, because you might embarrass yourself at the very end. <laughs> Not that I've ever done anything like that, but... Just so that you will know, because I care about you and don't want you to be embarrassed. When I was in high school, um, I played football and we were bad. We were really bad. One year we won one game, and then uh, the next year we were a little better. But I remember being in the locker room before high school football games, kneeling down and the coach standing in front of us yelling, trying to make us like all some sort of weird gladiators or something. You know, it's just like... There's a real cheesiness to that whole culture in a lot of ways. And, and then at the end of it, some kid, the captain, 
would stand up and say, now let's pray. And I felt like, even at the time, as a sophomore in high school, the first time that I witnessed this, it was like, what? This is like some sort of good luck charm or something. I don't feel like we're really meaning what we're saying, and this is why. This is how the prayer sounded. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, there will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Like just as fast as we could say it, it was just like a long mumble. And even as a kid, I thought, what? What are we doing? We don't think about this. So, you may know by now that I'm a really big fan of liturgy. If I could shape a service exactly the way I would want it, the sermon would be about five minutes long, it would be a homily, and the rest of it would be a lot of responsive readings and old hymns. Coming to you next week. Yeah, no, 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 no. don't. Don't, don't get me in that kind of trouble, student. <laughs> and the reason I like liturgy is because I heard a phrase one time, uh, a theologian and author named Ian Cron said, you should say the liturgy until you become the liturgy. And if you think about the words that we say at communion and the prayers that we pray repetitively in church, what if we became those things? What if... What if we became covered with them? I tell the story often of a few years ago, I was in my mom and dad's backyard of the house I grew up in, and there was a vine when we moved into that house when I was in kindergarten that covered maybe a quarter of the back wall is this big cinder block wall that went around the back fence. And we were out in the backyard. My dad was grilling. We were in town visiting. And, and I noticed that the vine covered almost the entire yard. There were, was my, maybe 10 or 15 feet that wasn't covered of that fence. And I said, Dad, when did that happen? And he said, I don't know. That's how spiritual disciplines work. That's how praying the Lord's Prayer works. It just kind of gets ingrained into you until it start, you start to be changed by the words and the thoughts and the actions. But, here's the thing. We need to think about it some. We need to consider it and think about what it is that we're saying and why we're saying these words so I'm going to spend some time this morning telling you how I think about the Lord's Prayer in terms of, and then, and then we're going to focus on forgiveness in the process of it also. So Jesus starts off by saying, Our Father who art in heaven, and a lot of people get hung up on the gendered terms for God. The scriptures use the word He a lot, and, and we use the, the idea of God as Father a lot in scripture. But here's the, the truth of it. The, the real theological idea is that God is bigger and beyond the names that we can give for God. In the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, God has a lot of different names. So it's, the Lord is my shelter. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my provider. So God has all kinds of different names. We go to Father a lot just because we like the idea of God being a protector. But we could just as easily say, our mother who art in heaven. And it would be just as inaccurate. And just as accurate. We could say, my uncle or my aunt who art in heaven. And it would be just as accurate or just as inaccurate. Whatever term you want to use for God is not going to get the job done. Because God is so much bigger than we could ever name. That's why God says, I am who I am. That's so vague and so hard to understand. And that's how God is. So Jesus says, 
our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed is the key to that phrase for me. It just means holy. And when I think of God the Father, I think of God the Creator. The force, the power, the divinity, the the whatever that has created and is creating. That is so much bigger than we could understand and so much wilder that we could never catch. And everything that the Creator has made is holy because the Creator is hallowed. In the name of everything that the Creator has made is hallowed. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, makes me think about the idea that creation is happening. We give God seven days. But I promise you, creation is still happening. How many of you are the same today as you were 20 years ago? Not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. You're not. Creation is still happening. And I want to tell you something. It is good. And when it's us, it is very good. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about this separation of the future thing of heaven and this thing that's far off. Also here on earth, things are still happening and there's a dynamic force that's happening in our world that we get to be part of because we're part of this place and this time. And God loves us. And God likes us. And God wants to include us in this creation that is happening. And God wants to change us. And we want God's will to be done here just as much as it is in heaven. And the thing is, we get to be part of that. We can pray all the prayers we want. But you know, prayer is not magic. Oftentimes when we pray... God is also speaking to us, giving us indications of what we ought to do. I've said this before, and I'll say it a lot of other times. Mass shootings terrify me. And the one that just really crushed me and scares me to death literally every single day was the massacre of the kindergarten children in Connecticut. And I was talking to one of my mentors, his name is Craig Cockrell, he's the pastor at St. John's UMC in Albuquerque. And I was telling him on the phone a few days after that shooting, I am so sick and tired of asking God, how long are we going to have to do this? I'm tired of this, why won't God do something? And my friend Craig said, do you ever think God's saying the same thing to us? That's what the prophets are saying. How long? We get to be part of the kingdom. We get to be agents that God says, yes, you pray, my kingdom come and my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are my creations that can make that happen. (laughs) 
Give us this day our daily bread. Not worrying so much about the daily bread that we'll need in 15 or 20 years, but give us this day our daily bread. Not allowing greed to consume us where we're hoarding and building up these giant storehouses for things that we don't need today, that other people need today. And that's not to say that we shouldn't invest into our retirements and plan for the future for our children, but it is to say we need things today and other people need things today, and if we're taking more than our fair share, that is unjust. And I'm as guilty as anyone. You should see the junk I have in my garage, Wes. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh my gosh, God gives us that. That is an answered prayer every time we sit down and eat, every time we get into our cars, every time we swipe our debit card, every time we put offering into the offering plate, every time that we fill our our gas tanks with gas, every time we can make a phone call on our cell phones that have more computing power than the Apollo missions had. Give us this day our daily bread. God's like, how about I give you a whole lot more? And how about you share it? Don't build these giant storehouses because I will tear them down. So that you can turn to me. That's what the prophets continually are telling us. Like I said, I do not believe that it's sinful to plan for the future and to plan for our children and grandchildren's future. But I do think it's sinful when we don't recognize that we have what we need, we have our daily bread, and I think it's even more sinful when we take more than our fair share and just are not willing to share it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Or as we have forgiven our debtors. Do you ever have those perfect, just sacred moments? Where everything is right. And you can sense God's love. And presence. Sometimes it literally is a moment. Two or three blinks of the eye. And sometimes it could be a few moments, and when we're really, really fortunate, it can last for minutes. I hear that there are people who can feel it for hours and days. I unfortunately am not one of those people. I'm not that focused on the presence of God in my life, unfortunately. But those moments are when we can see and feel the inbreaking of God's kingdom and the growth of God's kingdom. And that's what I live for. I love those moments. And I want to see more of them and I look for them and I try my hardest to feel that and see that. But when somebody harms me in a real way, in a way that I have to work and do some real work to be able to forgive them, it's like a split in time. Because 
they were my friend, and the thing happened, and now they're not. I could trust them, and the thing happened, and now I can't. I thought they loved me, and the thing happened, and now I'm pretty sure they don't. Time is split, right? This, to me, forgiveness is as much about time and being able to live in the present so that I can sense the kingdom of God and see what God is doing around me as much as anything else. Because what happens is we end up stuck and anchored by the things that people have done to us so that we cannot even get to the present. You know what I'm talking about, I'm sure, because you know people who anytime someone's name comes up, they bring up the thing. And you may be one of those people, I don't know, but I guarantee you, you know a person who you can say, oh, I saw so-and-so the other day. Oh yeah, remember that time so-and-so did that thing to me? They're stuck. When we end up being those people, we're stuck in the past. And for whatever reason, we allow that moment to anchor us so we can't fully be in the present because as soon as that name is spoken, they're pulled back. We're pulled back. Forgiveness allows us to be freed from an anchor that keeps us in the past and allows us to live in the present moments where we can sense the presence of God around us the most and see the incoming of the kingdom and share that with other people. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's about the future. Forgiveness is about the past. Lead us not into temptation is about the future. And fear and anxiety of the future can keep us from living in the moment also because our heads move forward and our hearts move forward and we have this fear and this anxiety and it's a normal thing, right? All these things are somewhat normal but they can get out of control. And when we live with fear and anxiety, we can't make good decisions in the moment. When we live with fear and anxiety... We become bitter and grumpy people because we just want things to go back to the way they were. That's called grief. And that's a good thing. Because the way things were, were good. Let's celebrate the goodness of that. But let's also figure out a way to live with a new normal. Don't rush it. Embrace it. Live with it. The fact that things aren't going to be the same. But the thing is this. Paul wrote that God did not create us with a spirit of fear and timidity. But God created us with a spirit of courage. It takes courage to live in this moment. Because my tendency is to do like I talked about a few weeks ago. I think this is kind of everyone's tendency. If you imagine a box, and somebody hands you the box, 
And in the box is something harmful. Now it's yours to hold. My tendency is not necessarily to hand it back. I, I, I don't want to be a person who escalates things. I really do focus on de-escalating and getting to the heart of the issue. But the truth of it is, I'll just hold it. I'll just hold it. And do you, you ever carried something around for a really long time? Whether that be in a backpack or a bag that you're carrying or just holding it with two hands in front of you. Before long, it affects your posture. It starts to pull you over. You start to lean a little bit and walk like you're 95 years old. It starts to hurt your hips. It becomes something that's just kind of constantly weighing in the back of your mind. Almost like a meditation. I always say, if you don't know how to meditate, you are wrong. Because all of us know how to worry. And worrying is meditating about something that we can't really do much about. Because if we could do something about it, we would. But I'll just hold it. I'll just meditate on it. I'll just worry about it. I'll just try to deal with it. I'll just try to swallow it down and try to get it to go away. But the thing is... It won't go away. Whatever we bottle up and try to keep, it's going to come out somehow. It's going to come out in either an ugly way or a passive-aggressive way, or it's going to come out in a broken relationship, or it's going to come out in, in self-critique. And oftentimes, this is the truth of it, I'm the one who hands myself the box. I'm the one who does the thing, and then I just pick the box up. And I'm holding it. And friends... We have to learn to forgive ourselves as much as we forgive other people. Because if we can't forgive ourselves, if we can't live well, we can't help other people live well. If we can't live well, we're anchored to the past. Have you ever done that thing where you just wish you could stop the tape and rewind and change that so you didn't do the thing? I remember as a, as like a 10 or 11 year old, just feeling like, oh my gosh, I really screwed up. Why did I make that decision? I can't believe I did that. And just being so upset with myself and grieving the fact that I did it, and I can't change it. It's done. Whether it was words that I said or actions that I did, I just wanted to change the thing. And oh my gosh, I'm 40 years old. And I still do that. I still will say something or do something or think something and I get so upset with myself. And I just want to stop the tape, rewind, and change the narrative altogether, but I cannot do it. As much as I would like, as much as I've tried, it's not possible. You know that. I know that. So we're stuck holding the thing. And we're just stuck and it feels hopeless. And it feels like I'm always going to be anchored to this, but here's the truth of it. It doesn't have to be that way. Through hard work, through remembering who we are, sometimes, as I told you the very first sermon I preached, I have to say, I am baptized. I am not this thing that I did. 
I am Ross Gregory Whitaker, child of God. I am not this thing that I did. I am not my failures and I am not my successes. I am Ross Gregory Whitaker, child of God. I am not those things. I just run that through my head sometimes. And I wish there was some sort of magic wand that I could give you and you could just like wave it over the, the box that you're holding that you've placed in your own hands and it would just vanish, but that's not going to happen. And I wish there was some song I could tell you. Sing this song ten times while you look in the mirror at midnight. And then when the clock strikes twelve, it's going to be gone. And it'll never be gone. And then the mirror will appear a version of the best version of yourself or something. It's not going to happen. And I wish I could give you a book and say, read this. It's going to change everything for you. And you'll be able to forgive yourself. And it's not. It's not. There's no magic formula. There's forgiving, and there's anxiety, and there's the present. And there's remembering that Jesus said, forgive them. For they don't even know what they're doing half of the time. All the time. At that time. And Jesus was holding the box. Because the truth of it is this, friends. When I sin, and I pick up the box, and I'm, I'm, re, I'm reserving forgiveness of myself, and I'm holding the box, that's sinful. When I refuse to live well, that's sinful. But do you know what happened? Jesus takes that, and He dropped it, and He hung on a cross, And he said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. We are forgiven. In the midst of our sin, Christ died for us. And that proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, The one who said, put down the sword. The one who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. The one who said, you can do everything that I can do and you will do even greater. The one who walked on water. The one who turned water into wine. The one who placed a sinner's ear back on his head. The one who looked at the thief on the cross next to him and said, today you will be in paradise. In his name... We really are forgiven. You have permission to let it go. Whatever you're holding that you've placed in the box yourself, you have permission to let it go and to live well because Jesus came so that we could have life that is life. That happens now. In the name of our Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer.